This is the Sarah Swain Show, where we talk all things bold and courageous business and have big and free conversations with brave humans. Nothing is off the table here, so get ready to be moved, challenged, empowered, and propelled into action. Let's go. Let's do this. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Live recording with wonderful humans. I'm so Yeah, this is kind of a new thing we're doing here. So if you're listening to this podcast on your typical podcast player, we actually have like a full live theater of human beings that are joining us from the parliament watching this episode live. So you know that whatever you hear on the podcast is actually what we said because we have witnesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> An added level of making sure there's no censorship here. So, yeah. Mark, thanks for joining me. Uh, I just want to start by uh, saying thank you for um, being such an inspiration to me over the last several months. Um, I love the work that you do. I love what you stand for. So I'm excited to dive into whatever we're going to riff on today. Um, But for those who may have never heard of you before, do you want to give everyone a quick intro? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I have a very keen interest in relationships and psychology. I actually have a background in, I was a pharmaceutical rep for 14 years, um, worked in that space. I used to run a consulting program called uh, the Science of Influence. So very familiar with sales Mm -hmm. processes, sales training, um, how pharma promotes, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I really had a deep desire to understand romantic relationships because as I was studying relationships in my 20s, I was really studying them on how to influence people and let's be honest, how to manipulate. And Mm -hmm. it was when a romantic relationship ended that I wondered why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? Like there must be a it's not a skill set issue. There must be something else going on here. So I started to study the science of romantic relationships and went back to school, studied positive psychology and really just dove deep into that work. And it's been fascinating how much all of that has sort of come together in the observation of what's been going on in the last couple of years. You know, Mm -hmm. I've I certainly was not um, highly skeptical at the very beginning. I was curious, probably like most people Mm -hmm. watching videos that came out of China with people falling on their face. And, you know, I was terrified, like, what is this going to be? What is this? Yeah. Um, But then just as things unfolded, uh, orange flag after orange flag kept coming up for me. And uh, my my spidey senses were tingling a lot, especially Mm -hmm. when there was the cancellation of any dialogue that that Mm -hmm. really alarmed me just having studied not just influence and propaganda, but also abusive relationships. It just, it was all starting to be a little stinky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I share a similar experience with the uh, cancellation of dialogue or cancel culture in Mm -hmm. general. It felt uh, very not coincidental that these two things were colliding at the same time where cancel culture had never been louder than it was in 2020. And uh, the comfort or confidence that people had in speaking up when something didn't feel quite right, or they didn't quite agree with the narrative or something that somebody else said 
Uh, this was at an all time low for people to uh, feel safe to be able to speak. And I can even remember being a business owner in 2020 and having a conversation with my parents, some of the concerns that I was having about my thought process, my value system versus the pressures and and sense of obligation I was feeling as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And I remember clearly saying, I can't say that online. Oh. I will I will be destroyed if I say that online. And that was a pretty eye-opening experience. Um, realization more than anything of the danger of the times that we were in if speech was being restricted. And I think that people get confused by this because, well, it's in our charter of rights. We have the free speech, say whatever you want. But the consequences that were then being piled onto um, the choice to use your speech were also growing, causing a large number of people to feel very unsafe in speaking their beliefs, their values. When it comes to uh, your realm of relationships, when did you start to notice um, in the context of our worldly happenings over the last couple of years that we were starting to encroach uh, on destruction of relationships, whether they're intimate, whether they're um, friendships, whether they're professional? When did you start to notice that there was a problem forming with people in relationship with other people. Yeah, it seemed like sort of a slow burn, you know, at first. The concern I had was when I started to read the clinical trials just to make a, uh, actually the first concern I had was the use of the PCR test. That was just because I used to sell a product that used it. So I really knew about it. I knew how it worked and it just didn't make sense to me. And then there was no criticism of it. There was no discussion of the cycle thresholds, what kind of information we were getting. I I really had a hard time understanding why we didn't want the most accurate data possible to make really informed choices. And I get that I probably had a deeper desire to understand the science that was being used just based on my background. Um, But in reading the clinical trials, I wondered why there was no discussion you know, mm-hmm. um, there was, you know, I remember getting into a dialogue with a friend who I said, well, the trial is not even looking at whether it reduces transmission and he lost his mind. Why would, why would they make a trial that doesn't look at that? You're, do you think you're smarter than virologists and immunologists and all any gist? And I was like, no, and you're really mad right now. And, yes. The anger. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I'm indifferent. I, you should be mad at the people who made the trial, not me. Like, I'm just telling you a fact. And then I had to send him links to like the New York times saying that because places that people value as seeing credible, if they were even saying it, well then, then it must really be true. Uh, It must just be obvious, but I was really alarmed by the language being used that was playing in the gray of Mm -hmm. understanding. And also I started to see like when you're a rep and this is true of all sales, you get, you know, you understand what are the main criticisms or what they call in sales objections that you're going to get about your product, a trial that you have, whatever it might be. 
and you get objection handlers. So these are basically like scripts about how you would respond to this objection. And, you know, as a rep, they would give you like what trial would be used to support this, what wording and, you know, a common, especially a common initial objection for everybody was there's no long-term data. And then you would hear someone say, no, mRNA vaccines have been around forever. And it was the standard answer. Again, no offense to people who bought that or absorbed that, but I noticed that everybody was being turned into little objection handlers. Everybody was being turned into sort of like a pharmaceutical sales force in some sense. And that again, like I was like, wow, what's going on here? I think what we don't understand generally, just psychologically, we understand it unconsciously, is that when cancel culture exists, but even the divide that's occurred in families and friends, is that there is a weaponization of belonging. Mm. And so ultimately what that is, is that if you don't agree, or even if you have hesitancy, I mean, there's another big red flag. It is a totally normal human experience. To, if we were talking about a blood pressure drug or birth control pill, there's a whole lot of issues, a lot to go in on that. But mm-hmm. if you went to Google and you looked up, how might this influence me? What is the data on it? Just as a general curiosity as a patient and patients yeah. are much more informed these days. And, and you said to your friend, I went and looked that up. I wanted to learn about the risks of it. Your friend would be like, amazing way to do the due diligence that is required before you take something and put it in your body. It's totally normal. And to be hesitant about putting something in your body that really got rapidly approved, that you're not allowed to talk about, that the people who actually had viable side effects are being canceled, like, and called anti vax, like, they got the thing. I don't know how they could be anti. Mm-hmm. And that really started again. There was like, wait, like we want to cancel anything that creates hesitancy. Yes. Which that, I mean, all of that was, I was observing my own physiological experience of people attacking me. Like I remember yes. early on about the data in pregnant women and there wasn't even data yet. And there was dialogue like it's safe to get. And I was like, wait. No, like I need to say it's okay to not be sure because the data is, this is your body. This is your life. And I felt really, I got fucking attacked for saying that. But I, you know, I, there are times that I have silenced my voice to avoid further conflict. Mm-hmm. And every time I do that, I realize that I just swallow the chaos. You bring the chaos yeah. inside, right? What do you, just what goes do in you my f- body? Yeah. I I'm with you. What do you think the the reason is for the um disproportionate response of anger? So here we are, people like us that are are simply doing what you describe and I agree with as the natural human response of hey, I would just really like to know more about this. Um I've got some concerns. I have some questions. And I'd either like to talk about it or I'd like to find some other resources. That's a very normal thing to do. I believe, I believe that that is also uh, not, shouldn't just be allowed, but should be expected as opposed to going into this default autopilot mode of 
just accepting the information that has been put before you by, let's face it, uh, largely politically based. Yeah. Why the anger from people? Because I've experienced very similar to you where I'm having a conversation. Well, I think thought was a conversation only to be met with like venom. And it's, it's bizarre. And, and to observe uh, a person almost erupt in front of you, or all of a sudden start speaking with a lot more exclamation marks, if it's over text or capital (laughs) letters and the energy that this person starts to exude. And you're like, what the shit is going on? I'm just having dialogue or people say, don't talk to me about this. I've had that too. Don't talk to me about this anymore. What do you think is behind all of that? And why is that seemingly, and I'm obviously generalizing here, but seemingly the popular automatic response from people when folks like us just raise some very valid questions? Yeah, I think it's multi-layered. You know, I, I've in the last year, especially been able to come to the to peace with the fact and just the understanding that everybody has gotten to their perspective from a place of love, you know, like the intention other than psychopaths, which is a small percentage of the population, but Mm -hmm. generally in leadership positions, unfortunately, unfortunately, (laughs) yeah, it's in essence, like that's one of the main things is like people's intention is to protect themselves, to be safe, to live, right? Ultimately, we're talking about what has really been put in the forefront of our psyche is death, 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 death. And also when you think about the conversation about asymptomatic spread, like unconsciously what children have been taught and adults is that a healthy person is a biological threat. Well, that Again, you think like we're not talking like, hey, let's have a dialogue about this gray area or Mm -hmm. hesitancy or just rational public discourse, because the fear is that if we even go to the gray, if we even go to the possibility that these things aren't true, death. Death. So like you not complying with, let's say, a mask mandate or getting the vaccine, that to someone else means they might die yeah. and that you might take up a hospital bed, you know, that again, all these dialogues, they're not rational generally, because when we're in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, the nervous system response to threat, uh, you're not, a, you're not, your logical brain goes completely out the window. Like in the research in businesses, when someone says, can I give you some feedback? the prefrontal cortex shuts down because when someone says that they're not generally giving you positive feedback yeah. you already get defensive. So there's that layer. I'd say the other layer, because they all build upon one another. There's probably two that I think are really important. And I interviewed Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's one of the creators of the Great Barrington Declaration. He's a Stanford professor of medicine in public health. This is his work. He I remember asking him like before COVID were lockdowns, the thing. And he's like, no, like there's no data. We had pandemic plans that we just threw out the window. The great Barrington declaration is those plans. It's nothing new. And it's been, it was vilified. Of course, when you look at all the email chains from France, Francis Collins, you start to see that there was actually a, 
uh, nefarious intent to cancel them and their dialogue. And Dr. Julie, I think it's Polinesi, the eth- medical ethics doctor. Oh, Panessi, uh, yep. Panessi, sorry. She was saying that no longer are credentials determined by credentials, like by Stanford, Oxford, blah, blah, blah. It's determined by, do you actually agree with the narrative? So mm-hmm. you have this one aspect. So what Dr. Bhattacharya said to me, which was really fascinating, is he said, we have moralized public health and moralizing public health is a failure of public health. And so layer that with you have Justin Trudeau and other leaders of the world, but especially Justin Trudeau and like Macron. And it seems like all very similar types of people, mm-hmm. but they're saying you did the right thing. And I want to speak to just like how important that language is. It's shifted for the people who sort of like realized there was a massive shift in Justin Trudeau's language, mm-hmm. right? When the poll, right? When the new election was announced. Yes. So clearly there were polls saying that people desired some sort of restriction for unvaccinated people. And that's when he started to say, you did the right thing. We're not going to have people sit on a plane beside you. And then he used language like they're misogynist, they're racist. They did that with the freedom convoy. Mm-hmm. It's When you tell someone a lie and then you tell them the truth, they still buy the lie, like the lie still exists. So there's still a bias that exists. So psychologically, this is all important to understand because the language of you did the right thing infers that there's a right thing, but that also infers that there's a wrong thing. And Canadians, but I would say humans in general, identify as good people. Mm-hmm. So you... And they want to just to feel psychologically comfortable with who they are in their identity. So I then am unconsciously being driven to choose this thing. It's selfish if I don't. So it's all so much psychological manipulation. So you have now you have on top of the layer that I spoke about before, you now have this layer of values. The values are innately given to the people who choose this one thing and not the other. And you have the weaponizing of belonging. You have all that kind of stuff. And the inability to have dialogue also, because if I make a choice, it's going to, and I, there's uncertainty about it because we can't, I mean, if we're just being honest, like just literal, literal, this is not emotional. Again, cancel culture is emotionally driven. We've, we have taught people that emotions themselves are rational. Emotions are important pieces of information to inform mm-hmm. how we're responding to our environment. They're incredibly important. And they're not always rational. And I think we can all know that because you could be in a dialogue about leaving a toilet seat up and someone's losing their fucking mind. And <laughs> so you realize it's not about the toilet seat. It's about something greater, an unmet mm-hmm. need, a fear, I'm not important, whatever it might be. And so you have this other part where the, um, the values sort of that are inferred by it, you have this emotionally driven reaction. And so I now, if we think literally, there's not long-term data. Mm-hmm. If you're paying attention to the data in Ontario, as of right now, as this is being recorded, so give me grace if you're listening, there are a higher percentage of people who have been boosted and double-vaxxed who are getting cases per 100,000. Per 100,000, and that's the magic right. way of measuring right. it, right? Because a lot of people who follow me will say, well, people say to me, you can't compare it because the groups, there's way more vaccinated people. Exactly. That's why we put it over a common denominator of 100,000. So you can't compare the groups. And any line that's higher means it has a higher per uh, Mm 100,000. So that means that 
And again, remember these people, the data says that we don't count cases until it's 14 days after the first shot, if they're saying partially vaccinated in some reports don't. And then double vaccine is 14 days after the second shot. We already knew this before, but it's been validated by the new data that came out in the Pfizer documents mm-hmm. um, that there's there's a drop in white blood cells after the first and around the first week, I believe it peaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's your lymphocytes go down. So your ability to combat infection goes down. And so you see massive case increases in that first time, but they're not counted in those groups. They're actually put into the unvaxxed group. And I know there was Alberta data where you could see actually the data from day zero of injection, and it was showing not great things because the hospitalizations and deaths were being lumped again into the unvaxxed group. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into the minutiae of the data because, of course, people get really hyped up about that. But my point being, if you are vaccinated, it's really hard to take in the idea that this thing no longer works, or I have to get mm-hmm. three or four more shots, or it's not effective against Omicron, or natural immunity is better, or just as good. All of that data is, it, it means you have to have the ability to hold shame, the ability to hold, because you might've vilified other people. You have to have the capacity to hold uncertainty. You have to have the capacity to hold the possibility that it might've harmed you, There's Mm -hmm. no long term. So like what it's asking of people, I have so much compassion for. That's why when someone does get enraged, I have so much compassion now because although I might feel my ego is being exiled by their response or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I actually realize because some of the people I love most in the world are vaccinated. Same. And I have so much love for their choice. It was the right choice for them. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's why I think we have, there are so many layers and that's, mm-hmm. that's why we have to look at all of the things that have occurred. Like actually yeah. just the final thing I want to say is when you look at the language that Justin Trudeau has chosen and also about the groups, they're misogynist, they're racist. That was not by accident. That was planned because they don't say things like that by accident. Yeah. And the reason we do that psychologically is it starts to associate this group unvaccinated with these other groups that we would never tolerate. We'd never want to be associated with. Right. Exactly. And we are willing, we would be willing to harm those groups. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in Brene Brown's work, she talks about how dehumanization always begins with language Mm -hmm. and we are psychologically not capable of harming people who we feel are like us. And so what leaders do, and this is when you start to look at the history of governments, you start to see that the the language begins with other right thing, uh, um, unvac, like misogynist, racist. This is all so that, cause I knew as soon as he said that, I was like, mm-hmm. something's coming, Calculated. something's coming because he's preparing the people psychologically to agree with this about yes. what's about to happen. So yeah, that was a, as my friend would say, a long way around the barn to answer. No, this is perfect because I, it explains why, because I know that there's a lot of frustration on the part of the unvaccinated of why the hell can't these people see it? Why is it so hard? Why am I getting shut down every time I try and have this conversation with my friend or my sibling or a parent? Why? they having such a hard time, even if 
I'm presenting them with cold, hard facts and evidence. So psychologically speaking, I love what you just touched on about how much that is actually asking of that individual for them to have capacity, psychological capacity, emotional capacity, um, the ability to sit with themselves and the ability to reflect and the ability to challenge their own thought process. Like these are things that I think we all wish every human came with. Yeah. But people, I mean, especially in your line of work, uh, anyone that has tapped into the world of self-development or or personal improvement, self-awareness of any kind understands just how deep and intricate that work is in order to be that person who can hold all of these things and can have room for nuance, can have the uh, ability to recognize when they misread something or maybe got something entirely wrong and allow themselves to have that very human experience Mm -hmm. without harsh judgment upon themselves or a complete and total um, lack of acceptance for themselves. When it comes to someone's moral compass, what do you think allowed some people to have these psychological tactics work on them? Even if there's someone who uh, historically has held values of, say, um, health or personal leadership or integrity or uh, speaking up, using your voice when something's not right. And then all of a sudden, that group of people went the other way, where other people kind of sat back and thought, something about this is off. I get that people see me and my choice to not vaccinate as being a threat to their life, to the life of their loved ones, to being associated with uh, horrible groups of people like racists and misogynists. But it wasn't enough for me to say, I can't, I'm going to go this way and allow that psychological work that was at play 24-7, no matter where we looked, to work on me. What is it that's happening in a person? And do you know when it comes to why it was easy for the masses to kind of start nodding their head with everything that our politicians were saying, everything our public health officials were saying, not just agreeing with them, but to the point where they completely ostracized anyone who merely asked a question or expressed some form of hesitancy. How is it that those psychological tactics can work to override someone's moral compass, but not others? Yeah, it's such a good question. I have a lot of theories on it. I mean, I think even the idea that it's overriding their moral compass as opposed to appealing to their moral compass, you know, like I was in a Dial because what it, that idea of right thing, right? That's appealing to a moral compass. Yeah. You know, I was having a dialogue with a friend where we had disagreement on something, and you know, they brought into question my values. And I said, you know, what's interesting is we likely have the exact same values. We're just orienting around them differently. Interesting. And the challenge is, is that 
my friend believed that their way was right and mine was wrong, as opposed to I saw that theirs was right for them. And this is cancel culture and just the way politics have gone, but especially in the last bit in Canada, but we've observed this in the States for a while, is we really have created boxes and binaries. And that really makes it so the world is easier organized. It comes again from a beautiful place. To make decisions quickly, we do what we call decision heuristics. They're like taking in information. Like if a 10 people sprint past me on a street, I'm likely to sprint with them because my chances that there's something coming and they're like, run. And I'm like, oh God. And this is shown on uh, studies where they have people looking up a building and there's not actually anything up there, but after a certain number of people join the group, almost everybody does. Yeah. They have like the count of how many people look and how many people stop and look. And it just shows you how we are group oriented people, which is again, that's why the threatening or the weaponization of being part of a group is so powerful. So that's one of the things that made people go along. And also there to be able to question things in a lot of ways, you think of like, what was the birth of philosophy? The birth of philosophy was free time. You know, it was paying other people or enslaving other people to do things that yeah. freed uh, people's time. And so they're able to think about how they think, which in a lot of ways is a privilege. If you're busy hustling in this world, trying to make rent and trying to put food on the table, which the very systems keep us entrenched in, which creates more dissonance, which we treat with more addictions. Like it's all a fucking cycle. Yep. You know, it doesn't stop. Right. The food we put in our body is generally, unless we take responsibility and control over it and grow our own food and do all these things is generally shit. Like it's filled with sugar. It's filled with chemicals. You know, all of this builds to keep us sort of destabilized. We could think it's nefariously intended, or we could think it's all just the system keeping itself uh, automated and keeping mm-hmm. itself alive. But the point to be that to actually like, why do public health officials exist? They exist. So we don't have to learn public health. We don't have to learn all the data. We trust our doctors. That's generally what we've done. And for those of us who had took the time or like made the time or had the time, cause I don't want to infer cause for some people they didn't, mm-hmm. it's easier for other people to just say, like, I have a friend who's a scientist, he studies things, but he's not a medical scientist. He studied uh, climate and I, he has a PhD. And I remember I saying to him, I'm like, what do you think about things? He's like, well, if Fauci says I should get it, I'm going to get it. And I was like, wow. Okay. So yeah, my perception was he'll break down the clinical trials and the double blind placebo relative risk versus absolute risk. No, he was just like, ah, cool. Like this guy said it. And that's essentially what a lot of people have done. I think One of the psychological things I've considered is one, if people have been in and escaped abusive relationships, there was a red flag pretty early on for people like that. I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. Just because the tactics of language, if you've been in a relationship or parented by a narcissist, you could see the sort of sociopathic language that's being used to create like where your worth is being said lives in your uh, compliance with this behavior. Mm-hmm. You'll be part of the group. You're a good person. And then like this constant flip-flopping is very destabilizing. Um, locking down, not wear a mask. Don't it, they're not, they don't work. They do. All of this is very stabilizing. Go in a restaurant, wear a mask, take it off. When you sit down, you know, people don't realize the actual, cause whether you believe in a mask or not, that's an irrational rule. And mm-hmm. so 
what I think is like, it's not just that choice. What it does is it starts to desensitize you from logical thinking. And so you start to be conditioned to be like, but I'm doing it for the business. Very beautiful. I totally agree with that. I have friends who own restaurants, who worked at restaurants, who manage restaurants, and it devastated them that, you know, what was going on. A lot of them lost their businesses or their jobs. And, and so I had got that. I felt the same way. Like I want to make sure that I can still function. I want to support these businesses, but it doesn't make fucking sense. And so the fact that we tolerate that conditions us to follow and tolerate other things that don't make sense, insert um, the travel ban, you know, like that kind of stuff. And, and even the testing versus not to like, to me, it's like, you literally have to take your brain and throw it out a window to Mm -hmm. make anything make sense. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, again, that is the conditioning of preparing you to not question things because what's the use? Like, it's like when you're in a relationship with someone who lies all the time and you actually buy their lies, you're like, you know, conditioned to just accept that you have a video of them cheating on you. And they're like, wasn't me. And you're like, okay. So what happens is, is you start to live in a world where lies are the truth, which mm-hmm. is so destabilizing from a psychological perspective, because what it's saying is I'm willing to put myself in these very dangerous circumstances and leave myself in them. The other thing too, I think that really separated or differentiated because I never want it to be hierarchical or righteous or condescending is that like, I think people who have suffered within a system or lived a life narrative you know, like get this job, have kids by this age, get married to someone who's a good provider or be a caretaker, whatever the gender role is, whatever the role is. Um, anyone who's suffered within that circumstance and freed themselves because they realized it was not actually the authentic life they wanted to live. Um, I find that those pe- people who have done that generally are always questioning what systemic thinking is coming mm-hmm. towards them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that could be as simple as, I got engaged when I was 27 and ended that engagement wondering why did I get engaged when I didn't want to? Like yeah. that made no sense to me. And That's so I such think a great point. Yeah, I think it's just that like when you've been part of the system and the system ended up creating so much suffering that you had to leave it that you're questioning everything that comes your way, you're not just taking it as like be an art, don't be an artist. You won't make money. Like it's those simple little yes. narratives. Yeah. Yes. And now that, now that you say that, that was probably what was so integral in my own experience of kind of unshackling myself from the traditional uh, way of being in the workforce and the nine to five. And I, I was asking myself those questions. I'd be sitting at work painfully every day thinking, who made up eight hours? Like why eight? <laughs> Yeah, totally. And like, why one hour for lunch? And you just start asking these why bizarre questions. Minute breaks? Why five days a week and two days off? And why 4% for vacation? And I just started being like, what the heck? And why do I have to ask someone when I need time off? And I started challenging all these things in these Oh, that's like systems. a can of worms. Yeah. Oh my God. And it, it's never ending, right? But I I do agree with that statement that uh, I think folks who have broken out of something, uh, some sort of uh, man-made construct, whatever that is in that person's life, probably had an easier time just observing 
before jumping in and automatically um, assuming that what's being told to us or what is being presented to us is what's best for us. It's just the way that it is. Anytime someone says, this is just the way that it is my, I'm like, oh, ah, I, oh, I can't stand I, that. I start my whole body just starts going like, no, nothing ever has to be just That's the way just that the way. it is. Totally. Right? Um, I think about that too, in the context of religion and the context yeah. of uh, just what you're saying about work is that if you think about it, like, especially in the roles that we've been sort of assigned in terms of how we should show up in relationship based on our gender, you know, uh-huh. women using their voice has not exactly been celebrated in maybe ever, but especially oh. in the last, you know, hundred years that we can really look at with more detail. And I think about religion too, you know, it's like part of faith is not questioning, you know, mm-hmm. part of just faith. If you start questioning or being curious, then you're not, you're not being faithful. And so just think about all these little seeds. That's why I think what's, what's so beautiful about this moment is that it is awakening the warrior in everybody. It is like saying, okay, like Tony Robbins says that you either you change because you learn so much you have to, or it hurts so much you have to. And I would say the knowledge creates so much pain that that's really what's occurring. And so I really think like we can only tolerate so much of this fucking bullshit of like Mm -hmm. the inconsistencies that it's like, ah, you know, and and like, I think about when someone hasn't spoken up because I get lots of messages about people saying like, I haven't spoken up like my family and I get it. Like speaking up, you might be the first person in hundreds of years in your family who speaks up. That's not just, just say what you feel. That's no, you're, we're talking in your epigenetics mm-hmm. is silence. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful, courageous thing to transform. Like, ah, oh, like that makes yeah. me just like so inspired when someone yeah. speaks for the first time and says, fuck this. And you're like, yeah, that's the, yeah. I think about like how algorithms really try to resist truth, but truth is the ultimate algorithm. Like it's yeah. the thing that catches fire because someone just says, thank you for fucking saying and putting yes. in the words what I need. And I've always thought that too, speaking of the algorithm, because we all know that we are censored like mad on, oh, on yeah. big tech platforms, but you're right in the sense that this off the power that comes from this rawness of using your voice from the vulnerability of using your voice from the courage of using your voice from being the one to say the shit that like your video so many yeah that 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 other people yes the algorithm can't override that it might catch it later but it can't catch it in the moment no because it's like wildfire through a dry field It, it the algorithm doesn't have enough time to interfere with the genuine human attraction. That's the soul, man. Like yeah. that's the, everything's connected. Everybody's like, we're all feeling this yeah. and what a beautiful moment. You know, it is. And I love that you're, this. you're reframing it like this. Cause I, I try to do this too, because there's so much fear and anger and frustration and hopelessness that's in circulation right now. And yeah. rightfully so for a lot of reasons, <sighs> But I also can't help but feel grateful that this stuff is all surfacing and that powers that be are 
really showing their hands more and more. So every gnarly thing they do that just completely knocks us back being like, I can't believe we're going through this, or I can't believe they're actually moving forward to this. They're passing this bill, whatever it is. There's a part of me that's always like, good. Because this yeah. is when going back to what you said about Tony Robbins, that that level of pain that is caused by the amount of knowledge we have is the thing that is kicking people awake. Um, and it sucks that there really isn't the, you know, a path of least resistance to waking up to some <laughs> of the atro- atrocities mm-hmm. that exist in our yeah. world. If only I think more people would be willing to be like, okay, this isn't going to harm me. This isn't going to completely fuck with reality and the world as I know it. This isn't going to send me on a trip of questioning everything I've ever known in my entire life. Sure. Let's talk about this. Like there's a reason why these people have walls that are just like, because in order for them to acknowledge what people like us are saying, the world as they, as they know, it can't simultaneously easier to exist silence with what we're saying. Yeah, it's exactly right? it. It's easier to yeah. silence it because if I silence you or cancel you, then I don't have to sit in the discomfort of the truth that I've always known. Like it's not about COVID. It's not about the vaccine. It's, it is, but that's the content. But we're really talking about self-censorship, self-silencing. We're talking about all these systems were implicitly doing all of this before. It's just explicit. And what a gift that is to finally see, let's call it evil. Let's call mm-hmm. it psychopathy. Let's call mm-hmm. it like we're seeing a leader in Canada who like, if you're connected to some part of your nervous system, somatic experience, you can't help but have the hair on your back. If you've got it, go up. You got it. You or can't the gag help. reflex. Right. Because <laughs> there's so much bullshit and so yeah. much word salading and there's there's so much dancing around the actual subject and there's so much dehumanization going on that you're like ah like it's yeah it's and, a physiological response i mean it is for me i don't want to project it on everyone oh I, like, I get that feedback a lot him, every time yeah. i hear him speak i'm just like you're not even present in your own body because no. you can't be because there's so much pain that you're putting on people. And if you are present in your body, then you're a sociopath. And, you know, like yes. that's the only way. That's the only way to explain. It's just really hard you. to watch. It's hard to watch. And again, you know, it's like that. The hope that I get from it all is it always takes something to like turn the switch in people to yeah. turn them on but to yeah. really bring them alive to life. Mm-hmm. Because when you're turning down the volume on all these truths, you can't just turn it down in the arena of vaccines and public health. You're actually turning it down to the richness of your whole life experience. And <sighs> that, you know, like in every moment is grief because every moment that goes by is death. Yeah. And, you know, this wow. is really also inviting us to confront death. I mean, what a what a gift that is, because yeah. if you actually accept it, it's a painful human reality. You know, one day I won't be here. Whoa. Like, Whoa. what would you do with this life if that was an accepted truth? Like a vaccine's not going to save you from not moving, not changing, not growing up, not showing up, not speaking. It's you still can't run from that expiry date. And oh. 
I think that's the integrity that we're being invited to. It's yes. like, I mean, for me, that's, I really, I'm so proud of myself for standing up for the thing that matters to me so much that I'm willing to be hated yes. because I'm willing Amen. to do it to love myself. Oh my oh. God. Yes. Yes. I share that. That's been, you know, the hard days that come when you're being a voice in something of this magnitude, because you're right. It's, it's not just about vaccines. I think vaccine is the easiest physical, visible thing for them to attach themselves to in this dialogue, but it runs so deep. It touches every system. It touches every aspect of our world that we were raised in. Um, and being on the side of, you know, I'll call it the good fight. We're, we're standing up for what we believe is right, even though it is not the path of least resistance. I'm so proud of myself too, mm. because it's ah, knowing how much hardship comes with this and how much hate and how people can be really, really cruel mm-hmm. um, while you're simply making a choice to align yourself with what you're observing, with how you're feeling, with what your gut's telling you, with your moral compass, with your value system. Um, I've also come to the realization that I would happily accept all of the crap that comes with that. So long as I'm in that space, because I couldn't imagine continuing to live on autopilot. And I'm glad that you brought death up because that's so fucking real, but we live life as though it's not as though that expiration date is something that's so far in the future that we don't have to worry about. And we have a, our whole life ahead of us. Well, for some of us, maybe that whole life ahead of us is only seven more days. And we don't know that. Don't and know, yeah. how much life did we actually squeeze out of life while we're here? Or did we allow censorship or cancel culture or self-censorship, which I think is the real issue, um, to steal that from us. Like the thought of that makes me sick. And that's, I think why my decision is so easy every day when I wake up and still continue to flap my mouth every day about all the stuff that's (laughs) going on in our world. It's an easy decision because this is my life. Like this is my life to be, to be, have something external to me dictate my experience or the things that I choose to be afraid of, or I choose to be interested in, or I choose to talk about, like, that's a no brainer decision for me to make every single day. So I'm glad you brought that up. I know we're, we're running close on time here. There's one more thing I want to ask you if you've, if you've noticed, because this is something that I've been watching um, specifically in Canada, where over the last couple of, uh, several weeks, couple of months, restrictions have started to lift. Mandates have started to lift. Some have shifted, some have taken on new forms, but for the most part, uh, citizens have been able to, I don't know, coexist with one another, be normal, go out, have dinner. The things that so many people took for granted leading into this, right? I'm noticing a very bizarre thing happening in that people are hanging on to the the fear people are hanging on like they like it's almost like they don't want it to go away 
they don't want the uh, pandemic life to move on. They don't want, uh, is it, is it, they don't want the responsibility of the choice now to come back to them because it, yeah. it was easier for them to have someone else tell them what to do. Are you seeing that? And if so, what do you think that's about? Well, so much of the public health response was infantilizing us, you know, not mm-hmm. giving us the ability to make choices, take responsibility for ourselves. And of course, you know, in a public health setting and response that there's a balance that people are always going with honoring the individual versus the collective, but not weaponizing the collective against the individual. Canada itself, if you think about the ethos of the country, it's not based on liberty. It's still part of the Commonwealth. And if you look at the most severe responses in the world, generally, um, they're in Commonwealths. Yep. You know, So that's a yep. fascinating string to look at, having uh-huh. spent a lot of time in the U.S. and being in the U.S. What I saw was this interesting um, and there's always an interesting battle between overt individualization and overt collectivism. And both of those are toxic in their extremes, much like yes. anything, you know, so there's that, I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation psychologically about the requirement to de-radicalize people because in all this psychological, there's no other word for it, fuckery, they have radicalized people. They've made people terrified. Yeah. And that's why, you know, even when you were saying like, finding someone's voice and using it. We have to have grace for not using it for all the times we didn't because not using it is a survival-based thing. It needs compassion and grace and we need to grieve all the moments we didn't use it because the awareness we have one means we have to grieve all the times we didn't use it. And that could be Mm. 40 years. That could be 70 years. And so there needs to be a grace that is also offered to ourselves knowing that like up until this moment, Every circumstance that occurred, we hear people say, I just wish I learned that 10 years ago. You wouldn't have heard it. It was being said. You just didn't hear it. And that's okay. You weren't ready. But here you are like, don't fucking waste it now. And I think the holding on to it is certainty. You know, a lot of it is society has oscillated around the person who has the highest level of anxiety in the last two years. Um, And that person, well, and that person, I have so much compassion for. You know, I think the trap we all have to make sure, and this is, I think the hardest work is we all have to make sure that we are the home of nuance, that we are the home of the bridge, because it's so easy for me to go into martyr. I've been attacked. (laughs) People have hurt me. Friends have rejected me, family, blah, blah. That can all be true. And I can't be that too. Like as soon as I speak the martyr story, I am now creating hierarchy. It just appears that I'm below, but I'm actually above because I'm weaponizing martyrdom. And oh, yeah. that is the hardest work is, can you be the bridge? Can you be unconditionally loving? I look at everyone who has had no tolerance for what I've been saying or people I love who have exiled me and I have so much compassion for them mm-hmm. because if I was them, I would have done the exact same thing to me. And so yeah. that's- that's wow. the hardest work. I got to tell you, it I mean, is. I, that's not fun. Cause all of a sudden now I have to be unconditionally loving. I have to have an open heart. I have to be the bridge. I have to, why do I have to fuck you? You do it. You know? And it's like that. Uh, I had that same so conversation when, with my therapist a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, why me? Why, right, why can't right. they, why am I the one in therapy? How is this fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, that the, the the question is always, why not you? Yeah. Like everything that has prepared us for this exact moment 
is perfect. It's perfect. It's like giving us the wisdom and the skills to, to recognize and be discerning. Where is it actually safe to use your voice? Don't go blow it everywhere. You know, it's like, yes, that's not safe with some people. Don't waste your fucking time. Important. And I, I try to stress this, be any, this is even true for, for entrepreneurship. When you're so excited about what you're creating, sometimes your spouse isn't even your safe space to let that land (laughs) because it's not, it's not exciting for them. And then that has the ability to deflate you or cause you to question yourself or doubt. Maybe this isn't a good idea. And it's the same for everything. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I see this on, on our side of the fight too, for lack of a better phrase of, uh, that insistence of this is the right way, or this is the right politician. It's just more moralizing. It's just more of the same, but from a different perspective. Exact same. We're the exact same. And you can't be the exact same. It's like the left and right wing belong to the same bird. You know, it's the same. You're right though, that, that work on, okay, I'm going to hold space for you, even though I feel like you're causing me harm. Um, That's work. That is Mm -hmm. true work to be done um, for all of us. It's a constant reminder for myself um, not to go into that righteous space because we can be so convicted with what we believe, what we see, what we observe, um, what we uncover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It protects our psyche. It protects our belief systems. Our beliefs are correlated to our identities. They're not meant to be. Mm-hmm. But if they are like, I'm a good person and I made this choice and this is what good people do, then you're unlikely to let go of that because it's correlated yeah. to how you identify. And so that's the other yes. thing is like, can you allow your identity to be fluid, to be open, to influence? Again, yeah. oof, that's hard. And you, you see that too with, with any anyone who is taking on some sort of advocacy without that awareness mechanism in place of you are this person advocating you are not an advocate and that is not your identity. That's not a mask that you're putting on. And I see that. And I think that that causes people to get stuck in that advocacy. So even if things are getting better or even if bridges are starting to form, I notice that those people stay in that space. And I, I totally agree. I think it's, they've now assumed it as their identity, not just their role, but their identity. So if they were to step back from that more aggressive fight, what does that say about who they are? And that's a trip for people. Like I could talk to you forever. I know you got to go. You got hard stop. Um, We're going to have to do this again though, because this was awesome. Yeah. And you're, we're going to do an IG live next week because I'm a member of parliament. So an honor to be on this side. Uh, and I just appreciate everything you do because as I was saying to you before we hit record, like one thing I recognize about myself is that I took being in a democracy for granted and I believed through ignorance and naivety uh, that a democracy takes care of itself. And I'm proud to say that in the last election, it was the first time I ever voted and I'm the only reason I'm proud to say that is because I started to take responsibility. And, you started. Yeah. And it's been through your influence. I took your quiz uh, uh, on your stories about political knowledge and I uh-huh. moderately failed. Um, <laughs> never considered myself an exceptional student, but I, I was not, sh- I didn't experience shame. I experienced excitement because you're doing such important work because oh, the translation of the political, the political to the everyday person. And as you've said, 
it's so complex. It's so complex that we just go, I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing we do with the complexity of the data is mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with it. So I'll just go along, but you can't like, this is adulting. Adulting yep. is hard. Responsibility. So, like, exactly. Yeah. And But it's so liberating. That's liberation. So I got to say, thank you. Cause oh, uh, thank you've you. woken me up to a whole aspect of politics. You know, I consider myself a liberal before, and I've been kicked out of that. I, I didn't change. But all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, I actually agree with that policy over there. Oh, God, I'm a little scared. But as a recovering, or no, recovering, as an Albertan who will move to Vancouver, you're not even allowed to be conservative there. But <laughs> I, I remember it's talking the same to reverse, group, though, right? Right. I remember yeah. talking to a group of Albertans <laughs> being like, I finally feel conservative. And they're like, uh, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to the party, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we always knew. <laughs> but I feel like that's the same bridge that I'm inviting psychologically and perspectively is the same bridge politically. Like, can you stand, can you observe both and not be pulled into identity? Because it's Bingo. easier for me to go to group because if I go to group, I feel safe. And it doesn't mean I can't identify with aspects of both. Yeah. I just can't hold space for the lack of dialogue that the Same. far left is that it's making me puke the righteousness Same. The, and you know, there's but you're, similar things on the other side. You're so right though. This whole, you know, holding of, and I'm, I'm also very cautious of the language I use. I try to catch myself. If I ever say I am a conservative because that puts me in a box and that, that oh, disallows me. <laughs> I know, right. They this, want you there. It disallows me from being able to ebb and flow and have those dialogues as opposed to being like, no, fuck you. I'm a conservative. I'm not listening. Um, I identify with conservative ideologies, yeah, right? Um, but I try to hold myself back saying, I'm a, I'm a conservative through and through. Um, but that's all language and that plays into psychology and you've brought so much to us here today. So thank you. Where can people find you? What's the easiest place if, if folks aren't following you yet? Um, you can find my like more relational focused stuff at create the love on Instagram. Uh, you can find me where I talk more about this type of stuff on it's Mark Groves. And I have a podcast called the Mark Groves podcast. Uh, and I also have lots of courses on create the love.com on all relational stuff. Really like what we're talking about is codependency on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I have a course on codependency that's, that's actually just launching. So they could check that out on, on all awesome. my links. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, Mark. thanks for watching in. Yeah, this is really cool. I'm actually loving this new uh, way of podcasting, having like a live theater here. So thanks yeah, everyone awesome. for hanging I out. I feel honored for people trading time to hear yeah. me, me and you talk. That just means so much. So thanks. That's an me. honor. Okay. Thanks, much Mark. Love. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you need support to grow or start your business online, be sure to connect with me at www.businesswithsarah.com forward slash connect or send us an email at team at businesswithsarah.com. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform to help me reach more listeners. Until our next chat, be courageous and take some action.